0: I like to talk about this. He's like, you're 30 now? I was like, yeah, I'm 30 now. He's like, how do you feel? I was like, I feel like I'm 20. You know, I think, I honestly believe this, that like our generation, like the way that we've taken care of our bodies with football, I think like 30 is like the new 20. I feel like I could play another 15 years like without a doubt like nothing's hurting you know it's like middle of camp and I feel great you know I feel strong in the weight room I feel fast I feel explosive and it's just I think it's the way we train now I honestly feel stronger faster better than I did when I first got to the NFL and that comes with more knowledge on how to train and how to eat and how to take care of your body I'm sitting here year eight and I remember people ahead of me talking about year eight like oh, miserable and they can barely walk out of bed and I'm like I'm blessed man I don't have those problems and I've had broken bones and all these things but I the way they rehab and stuff nowadays, I feel great. I think we're fortunate because I do believe we have some talented players on this team that, that have plenty of grit. Look, I, I think there was a number, I've said this when I walked in, there was a number of guys that were here. And I, I think Patricia Quinn did a great job of, there's no turds here. There's no bad guys. Like, these guys work now, you know. We don't have guys, uh, I'm lazy, i blah, blah. We don't really have those guys. That's a good thing.
1: You just crush my grins.
0: Boom. Sadness. That's the one. All right.
1: Before we get to Derek Carr talking about playing for another 15 years, Adam, did you see urban Meyer says this morning that there's still an open competition between Trevor Lawrence and Gardner Minshew.
2: Urban
3: Meyer is going to run a college program right up until the day he gets fired.
1: <laughs> Jared's excited. Jared's bought into the guy. He, he loves Gardner Minshew a lot. And he's very upset that Gardner Minshew is not going to be a starting quarterback.
2: I just think he deserves a shot, and I'm thankful Urban is giving him that shot. I'm glad you were physically in pain saying thank you, Urban,
1: (laughs) because that's who you're relying on to give Gardner Minshew his shot. All right. On Derek Carr, you heard the audio there. He said that he feels like he can play another 15 years because he feels great in his eighth year. He's 30 years old, so another 15 years would be playing until he is 45. Uh, Reference of that, Tom Brady is 44 years old at the moment and still going. Tom Brady, though, one of the greatest to ever do it. Um, Is anyone going to want Derek Carr when he's 45 years old? Does anybody want Derek Carr when he's 40 years old?
3: Yeah, let's not take the 15 all the way out to its literal conclusion. Let's just say Derek Carr picked a number out of a hat. Let's say it was 10 years that we were talking about this. Will anyone want Derek Carr when he's 40? uh i think so maybe if he's right because here's the thing about what Derek carr said that I, I agree with actually the idea that not necessarily that athletes and nfl players are better trained than they were but that they i mean to some degree they are but quarterbacks are far 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 more protected than the previous generation were and the rules i think make it so that quarterbacks take far less brutal hits They're thrown to the ground far less. They essentially are getting hit in the ways that make them wake up sore um, far less often than they used to because defenders are scared to even go in and hit them the way they used to. So don't get me wrong. I'm not pining for it. I don't think it's the way that it should be. But if you go and look at the way that the last, let's say, uh, what do we want to take here? I'll take the last uh, season full of, of NFL play, just one season. And say, if you look at the top 10 quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Russell Wilson, Ryan Tannehill, Carr, Matt Ryan, Baker Mayfield. You've got some quarterbacks in terms of Rodgers, Brady, Wilson, Tannehill, Ryan, who are at, I'm not going to call it an advanced age for life, but certainly an advanced age for a quarterback. And number 11 is Kirk Cousins. So we have shown that there's a market for competent quarterback play into at least the late 30s.
1: Yeah, I I think there's a chance Derek Carr is a solid quarterback that late into his career. Like, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be a starting quarterback this year. I think, what's he, 38 years old, 39 years old, something like that. So I don't think it's that crazy to think that Derek Carr can be a starting quarterback when he's in his late 30s. I am a little curious to see how... How NFL teams start to go either all in on the idea of having the rookie quarterback on the rookie contract versus how much are you paying a free agent quarterback, whether it's, you know, Derek Carr when he's 38 or like it's Ryan Fitzpatrick right now. I wonder how that will change the market in the future on a lot of these quarterbacks and how much would like, you know, Derek Carr says he's going to play play another 15 years. Is he playing another 15 years if nobody's willing to sign him to a big deal, right? Is he doing it for, you know, 3 or $4 million a year? Well, I guess in 15 years, it might be $10 million a year for some uh, 40-year-old quarterback. But that I am curious what the quarterback market is. The other side of this, like Derek Carr's side, I'm kind of with him on the idea that if somebody was willing to pay me to play quarterback, Unless my body was like actually breaking and it was like, hey, dude, like you're, you know, your 50s and 60s are going to be a nightmare because your body's broken. If I was like still like relatively healthy and they were still going to pay me to show up and play quarterback, I wouldn't stop until they stopped offering me a contract.
3: And I think that both of the points you just made go right back to Ryan Fitzpatrick, right? They go back to the idea that, okay. Obviously, the asset you want is an elite quarterback on a rookie contract, and you don't want to have to pay him until after that fifth year, and then you have to offer up a Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen-level deal. That is the hope, right? But if not, why wouldn't you want a Ryan Fitzpatrick or last year, Phillip Rivers going to Indianapolis on a one-year deal? I mean, those are the kind of guys who you know what you're getting. You're not having to overly commit in terms of term. And if you build a good enough roster around them, they can win, right? I I know that everybody likes to point to game managers as being overrated in some way, as in, no, you really do have to have an elite quarterback. Well, of course you want an elite quarterback. There are only so many of them to go around. And so if you go back and you look at Tampa Bay with a Brad Johnson or the Baltimore Ravens with a Trent Dilfer, It is possible to win a Super Bowl with one of those guys if you build a good enough roster around them. And I'm not saying Washington is a Super Bowl team this year, but if they all play up to their potential around Ryan Fitzpatrick, that's a contender in the NFC.
1: Yeah, it absolutely is. And like Derek Carr is the perfect game manager. hes I mean, he's better than what you'd say a game manager is, but he's the perfect quarterback that you can win a Super Bowl with if you have a good defense, right? The problem with Derek Carr is that his defenses have been atrocious for the entirety of his career. But if there's a really good team around him, you can absolutely win with Derek Carr. And again, that goes back to sort of the quarterback market, what it is now, what it'll be five, 10 years from now and how teams view the 38 year old that you signed. how, how cheap do you sign that guy for versus how big of a deal do you give to that type of quarterback is what I'll be curious to see happen here. But it absolutely, I mean, Derek Carr, Not like he's going to be as good as he is now, but Derek Carr should still be a fine quarterback in eight years, which is kind of insane to say. But he's still probably going to be a capable quarterback that you could win with if you're really good everywhere else. And he's relatively cheap compared to what other quarterbacks are getting paid.
3: And I don't even know if it's going to be so much about whether he gets 15, 20 or 25 million dollars to play quarterback for a year or two. If we're talking about that kind of deal, I think it's going to be more about Derek Carr's skill set ages. Right, Derek Carr is not a running quarterback and never has been. He can. We saw him last year probably more than ever be willing to take off, run to the sideline, stick the damn ball out three yards in front of him and uh, hopefully not get knocked away. (laughs) But overall, he's a guy who's a pocket passer who has a very accurate arm. That's something that any team is going to be able to stick in and get a year or two of competent play out of while they try to figure out that what you just said. Can they get a rookie or a second-year guy in there on the low-dollar deal that allows you to build a super team around them.
1: Now, aside from him wanting to play till he's forty-five, are the Raiders going to want him to be their quarterback when he's thirty-five?
3: I mean, we haven't really gotten too deep into this, have we? Right? We haven't really gotten too <laughs> too deep into do they commit to Derek Carr for another long-term contract? Because Derek Carr, I think we. We need to make clear to those who, as Raider fans, are saying, well, he hasn't gotten us anywhere. If Derek Carr hits the open market, he's getting a four- or five-year contract, without question. That's how desperate NFL teams are for quarterbacks, and that's not even to slander Derek Carr to say they'd even give him that deal. No. He was the eighth-graded quarterback by Pro Football Focus last year. He was the ninth-graded quarterback by DVOA. The guy plays at an above average level and he's still going to be at an age at 31 where he's going to be a valuable commodity to someone he's going to get paid if he gets out there now if john gruden is still the coach and of course he probably will be then don't you think tyler that john gruden can't help himself and that this team as long as this defense is still terrible is going to be picking in a position to try to go get the next quarterback
1: Uh, you'd like to think so but John Gruden never drafts quarterbacks. Like we love to do it every off season, but he's, he's, he didn't do it in Tampa Bay. He hasn't done it here either. So I don't know. I think there's part of him that likes the familiarity with Derek Carr. There's part of him that even if they don't make the playoffs this year, is going to say, well, Derek Carr was good this year. I mean, hell, they wouldn't even, they wouldn't even play Marcus Mariota the last two games of last season when Carr got hurt. Like it was a perfect chance to play Mariota and see, "Hey, well, how's this guy look? They didn't even do it last year. So I, I don't know what John Gruden's going to do with his quarterback position because I think he likes Derek Carr a lot. I just, when you don't win, it's hard to keep bringing the same guy back, even if it's not his fault. So I I don't know how John Gruden's going to view that. It's one of the biggest questions of this offseason is if the the next offseason, if the Raiders miss the playoffs again, what do you change? Because you've been changing the defense every year for four years since John Gruden has been here. You can't just keep doing that and expecting anything to change.
3: Look, the single biggest problem that the Raiders have right now is John Gruden, talent evaluator. That's it over everything else. Because John Gruden, the play caller, has shown that he can get this offense to a competent level. But John Gruden, the talent evaluator, is what's holding the Raiders back. John Gruden, the final decision maker on drafting and free agent signings, is what is holding the Raiders back. That's it. Period. Bright bright big period at the end of that sentence because they keep trying to as you just mentioned fix the defense whether it's the draft or free agent signings and we talked about it at the top of the show that whether it's their inability to use the talent they have or overestimating the talent of guys that they fall in love with from Alabama and Clemson in college then they have shown that they are not able to put the right pieces in the right places and John Gruden has ultimate decision making authority that's why most Coach-GM relationships don't work this way. That's why Bill Belichick is an anomaly when it comes to having final say over personnel.
1: Uh, who plays for Clemson this year that they're going to draft in the first round? Have we figured that out yet?
3: You need a whole season. Uh, oh, I, and okay. Then, That's uh, good Yeah, point. yeah. It's, it's obviously not bucks. going to be... Yeah, yeah it's not yeah. going to be uh, DJ Uyunglele, though. We know that.
1: No, well, it'll, what we need to do is is we'll give them the whole season, and then we'll figure out, okay, who is about the sixth or seventh best draft prospect from Clemson, that's who the Raiders will take in the first round. That'll who be has, pick.
3: who has obvious limitations in the 2021 NFL game of <laughs> passing and flexibility. Who is someone who would have looked great for the Raiders the first time John Gruden was here? That's who he'll draft.
1: All right, coming up next, it's Bischoff's brief because apparently we're getting a Major League Soccer team.
4: Bishop's briefs.
0: You know what happened last month? Without anybody noticing, this is for real. Webster's Dictionary expanded the definition of the word literally to include the way it's commonly misused.
2: Bishop's
0: briefs. So the thing is, we no longer have a word in the English language that means literally. It literally doesn't have a synonym.
4: Bishop's briefs.
0: We're going to have to find the Latin word for it and use it. But see, I don't know any Latin.
4: Bischoff's Briefs.
0: So when I say that I am literally going to set fire to this building with you in it, you don't know if I'm speaking figuratively or literally.
1: Before we get into soccer and Bischoff's Briefs, there's another review happening in this Little League World Series regional game. Also, this one kid for South Dakota, Gavin Weir, has a no hitter through five innings in which he has struck out fourteen hitters. There have only been fifteen outs made, and he has struck out fourteen of them. So, yeah, Little League World Series—not quite here yet—but this kid's really good.
3: Um, uh, by the way, by the way, yeah. I believe I believe Gavin is the same kid who had that incredulous look on his face with the strike call from the umpire, <laughs> and so obviously the umpire is not holding it against him.
1: <laughs> so major league soccer. There is a story at sportico.com over the past few weeks, Las Vegas has emerged as the most likely location for the next MLS club. According to someone familiar with the league's thinking, um, we hosted the gold cup that had a sellout crowd sold out very quickly, but more importantly to this is that Sacramento who had been awarded an expansion team Their owners backed out, which in a way opened up a spot for another city to get an expansion team into Major League Soccer. But if we look at Vegas and Major League Soccer, this league has always talked about three key things when expanding three things they're looking for. First off, they want to have a good market with a good fan base. Lights FC, that's where sort of the Gold Cup conversation comes in. There's obviously people here that care about soccer Question is, does that translate people that show up to watch the Mexican national team play? Does that translate to them showing up to watch a major league soccer team? You don't need 65,000, but you need about 20,000 or so to do that. Lights FC have been playing in the USL. They've had good attendance in their uh, history. They've always been right around the top five in terms of USL attendance. But that is like a six, 7,000 type of number. Again, you need to be closer to 20,000, if not over 20,000. If you have that legitimate fan base that major league soccer is looking for, you can certainly spend those as positive. Like if you're trying to find a way to say, yes, Vegas works, you can certainly spend both of those things as a positive, even if it's a question mark of how well they'll actually translate. The second thing that major league soccer wants when they're expanding is the stadium. The team plays in like they haven't made it a requirement because a few of their teams do play in NFL stadiums like Atlanta, like Seattle. But those teams are also owned by the NFL owner. But Major League Soccer has really wanted soccer-specific stadiums. Allegiant Stadium could work here. There's a few issues. Number one, you'd have to have a narrow field, more narrow than most soccer fields, because for some reason we didn't build Allegiant Stadium wide enough to have a normal soccer field. Uh, so that's one issue. The second one is it, it's too big. Like Even if Major League Soccer was a massive success here, 65,000 seat stadium is going to be too big. It's very, very unlikely that we would have these successful crowds that Seattle and Atlanta do where they bring in 50,000 plus for every single game. And then one of the other issues pending on who the owner is, is scheduling conflicts at Allegiant stadium. Like we've talked about it this week with UNLV football and how they've had to get bumped out and moved around major league soccer. If they're suddenly playing at major at uh, Allegiant stadium, they have to have home games in the fall. Like this season goes through the fall. So they'd have to find a way in that schedule to play games. And it would probably be very difficult for them to do that. So does Vegas need to build a soccer specific stadium to get a major league soccer team? They might have to do that. Would it be downtown? Would it have to do public money? There's a lot of questions there. If they do not do it at Allegiant stadium. And then the third part that major league soccer looks at is The ownership like they want a good owner they want an owner that yes that guy has money he's invested it's going to be good here sportico mentioned three ownership groups two of them we had already heard before first was seth klarman he's got the renaissance group they were the ones that were trying to buy the land in downtown las vegas they would have built a new soccer stadium down there they would have purchased lights fc and they would have tried to get lights fc into major league soccer They no longer have an exclusive negotiating agreement with downtown Las Vegas, but apparently it's not 100% dead yet, that group trying to get into downtown Las Vegas. The other one is Bill Foley, who we've heard before. He's mentioned Major League Soccer and the potential of bringing one to Las Vegas. And then a new name is Wes Edens, who is the owner of the Milwaukee Bucks. He is also an owner of Aston Villa, a Premier League team over in England. From the Sportico story, Wes Edens fits the profile of the type of owner that MLS has courted in recent years and will continue to court. He has investments in other leagues. He's younger than the original generation of league owners, and he's already shown in Milwaukee how a tech forward approach can grow valuations. I don't know much else about Wes Edens. I don't know why he would want Las Vegas or if he's just looking at it saying, hey, I want a major league soccer team in Las Vegas is the most likely place to get another one, but that is potentially three different ownership groups that are trying to bring major league soccer to Las Vegas. Again, I still have a lot of questions about, you know, stadium where they would play and everything else and how good the fan base actually would be. But it sounds a lot like major league soccer wants to put a team here.
3: So Tyler of all those issues that you just mentioned, what is the one that you think holds this back the most?
1: if they have to have a soccer specific stadium, because how do you get that built? Somebody's going to ask for public money. And if we don't have an appetite to give the Oakland A's any public money, are we going to have an appetite to give a major league soccer team public money? That to me is the biggest hurdle. Now, if they decide if major league soccer and whoever this potential owner is decides that Allegiant stadium can work, that they can figure out a way to make it work then that's not an issue, but I'm skeptical that they would actually decide to go with the Legion Stadium. So, soccer-specific stadium is my biggest issue or biggest hang-up as to Major League Soccer actually coming here.
3: And keep in mind, anything we talk about with the Legion Stadium has to be approved by the Raiders. Yes. The Raiders have total control over what events go into that stadium, And remember, one of the big things we talked about during the building of the stadium and the public money that was going toward it was that the Raiders and the Las Vegas local governments might have different priorities in terms of what goes into that stadium. The Raiders just care about is it going to make money for them or not. The government, of course, wants as many events as is possible to get as many people into hotel rooms as is possible. Not that we're saying MLS is a sport that you're going to have huge numbers of traveling fans coming in. But I think any sports in Vegas, you have to assume that people will make trips to Las Vegas to come watch the team. So it's not a straightforward process when talking about getting them into Allegiant stadium.
1: Yeah, it would be. And and that's where like the ownership question marks there are, are interesting because if, cause Bill Foley's the one who's actually set talked about major league soccer and he's mentioned Allegiant stadium before Bill Foley would have to work with Mark Davis and Bill Foley would have to take instruction from Mark Davis on what his soccer team could do. And it it does make me wonder, does Mark Davis have any interest in owning a major league soccer team? Because if he did, then Allegiant Stadium would all of a sudden make a lot more sense. Because when you look across major league soccer, I think all the teams that play at an NFL stadium are owned by the NFL owners. Seattle is, Atlanta is, uh Bob Kraft owns the team in in new England as well. And I'm trying to remember if there's another one, but those are the three main ones where the owner of the NFL team owns the major league soccer team. So major league soccer views it as okay. Like the guy who's controlling everything at that stadium, he has an interest in our major league soccer team. Whereas in this case, if, if say bill Foley or Wes Edens owns it, but Mark Davis is in charge, the Raiders are in charge of the stadium. Then now you've got that issue where you've got to deal with a third party who's not going to care about the major league soccer team success as much. Who's going to say, yeah, whatever. You have to play all your home games on a Tuesday. You don't get any weekend home games in the fall or hell. We scheduled guns and roses. So you don't even get it in the summer either. So that's to me, that's sort of the big question mark there. The ownership, like those three ownership groups, if those are all legitimate, like if Seth Klarman still involved, if Bill Foley is still legitimately wanting to get it. And if Wes Edens, who owns Aston Villa and the Milwaukee Bucks, the ownership group seems like the least of the concerns here that we have multiple legitimate ownership groups that could bring major league soccer here. It'd be the stadium. And then fan base wise, I think they'd be fine, but I think you would be looking at a fan base that average attendance is probably going to be in the bottom half of major league soccer and not the top half most years.
3: And keep one other thing in mind when it comes to bill Foley and Mark Davis, this is business in the end and money will talk to everyone but bill foley was in no way pleased (laughs) with the public funding that the raiders got for Allegiant stadium when he was putting his own money in along with mgm to build t-mobile
1: yeah and i don't think he'll forget that anytime soon coming up next jr starkus
3: joins
2: the show ready for the weekend it's like i picked the wrong week to quit drinking let's find out what's on tap with
4: jr starkus
2: champagne Perfume
1: going in, sewage coming out. Jr. Starkis from Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits, also thanks to Liquor World. Uh, Jr., do you like the Little League World Series?
4: I love the Little League World Series, wow. man. It's so much fun to watch. I think uh, I've, I've been blessed enough to know for the past few years, you know, because because of, of my son's background, a, a bunch of kids that have played in it, and I knew uh, a couple of the, the parents and the families that were in it this year. So tough to see him go 0 and 2, but. Um, you know, I do enjoy it. I get frustrated with what you were talking about earlier, the bad umpires, uh, because closer to what Ann, Adam said is, you know, while these umpires are volunteers, um, to these 12-year-old kids, while it's not the end of the world, it right now is everything to them. And the least we owe them is a fair strike zone, and having a ball be called a strike that's a foot outside that the catcher had to reach for is atrocious.
1: Are you watching South Dakota, Nebraska right now? I'm not. I am. Uh, my full attention on is on you, sir. You. <laughs> okay, I appreciate it. But uh, this kid, Gavin Weir, has struck out 16 batters in five and two-thirds. They just put a graphic up there. He has struck out 30 of the 35 batters he's faced in the two games of this <laughs> regional.
4: Here's what. Here's what. I think it's awesome. But here's what happens a lot of the time. You have these kids that are incredibly skilled for 12 years old. That that young man, I'll bet you, has been playing up and probably been playing with older boys for quite some time uh, in a club ball team. And he's probably been pitching at a 14 year old clip, at least from 60 feet, six inches. So when you get a kid that then moves up to whatever that is, I think it's what 40 something feet. I mean, yeah, he's going to bring the, he's going to bring gas and it's, it's not easy as a batter to adjust.
2: You almost said the cheddar.
4: Yeah, (laughs) I did almost say the cheddar. Um, (laughs) Yeah. but it's not easy to adjust to something like that. Like that's that, that ball's coming in quick. When you see twelve-year-old kids having to hit equivalent of you know ninety-five to one hundred miles an hour or something like that, uh, it's a it's a tough adjustment. So I, I, I was I know young men that have been able to play at that Little League World Series or in the regionals, and they're very 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 good baseball players and still playing today. And um, they struggled even then. So there's some there's you know it's miniature but it's talented.
1: Well, he just finished off a six-inning no-hitter where he struck out 17 batters. Only one guy. Pitches? Uh, 78 pitches. Nice. Yeah. Very. Yeah, good.
4: You, I mean, if you're a coach, you just got to be like, dude, take a strike. Let's <laughs> hope to get this pitch count up. Hope to get him out of here.
1: Um, how do you feel about instant replay? Because watching these, they they the refer, or the umpires will occasionally go walk behind a fence, put on a headset, start looking at a monitor, and come back and change a call.
4: So I like instant replay. Um, I hate the fact that it slows things down so much. Um, you know, I don't know. I'd be interested to know, like, even at the pro level, what and maybe Adam knows what they're actually listening to on the headset that they couldn't just get on the headset and the guy on the headset goes, "Yeah, he's out," and then you're like, "All right, you're out." Like, what are they spending so much time doing? Because they're not looking at a monitor, they're not cha- You know, they're not doing it themselves. Like, at least I feel like in the NBA, they're looking at stuff themselves. Major League Baseball, they're just listening to somebody in a headset. So what are they listening to that the call can't be almost instant where that they can just be like, "Yep, you're out or no, you're safe, right? So it, Um, it,
3: yeah, it depends on the sport. It depends on what sport you're talking about. So in Major League Baseball, you know, you get the two guys walk over there, they put the headsets on and everything is being done from, uh, from downtown New York. Like they basically are just listening and what they're listening to is whoever's in the replay center is going through the seven, 10, 12 angles that they have and talking through it and then explaining to them, okay, you know, uh, we don't have enough evidence or this or that. And the biggest problem with baseball is that they don't come on a mic and explain right. what happened. Oh, I That's hate what it. we need.
1: Oh, That is
3: the one yeah. thing
1: NFL has done better than any other league. And the NBA has gotten better about it. But announcing to the crowd and effectively the TV audience what the hell is going on. Like, even in hockey sometimes, they don't do it every time. And in baseball, it's a nightmare. They just walk out and sort of point out or safe. That's the one thing the NFL has just crushed everyone with officiating on is announce to the television audience and the people in the crowd what the hell you're doing.
4: Can you imagine how how raucous it would be if, you know, because some of the NFL explanations are horrible, and you're (laughs) looking at the instant replay on TV, and you're still saying to yourself, what? (laughs) What? Can you imagine a... Uh, a major league umpire uh, little league umpire having to get on a microphone and explain how they see the ball touching the inside of the glove before the runner gets to first base (laughs) and looking at the instant replay on the screen and clearly seeing something different and and having them explain it and just the booze raining down i think it's probably a safer thing for those umpires (laughs) to say yeah you're out bro all
1: right are you you're making us a drink called a hemingway
4: today i am but first i have to complain to you because ed's not here no, because oh. it's been like a couple of weeks and I haven't heard anything about horses. Now I'm hearing about chickens and I've got no updates. And I am I am quite as a as a fan. I'm furious that I'm not. A oh fan? no,
3: no. Oh, Jr. We were we were almost through a whole show without the horses.
1: Oh. <laughs> so all right, I will say we. What is today Thursday? I don't think we've raced yeah. anything this week. I think we've 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 relaxed on the racing for this week because we've run into some some walls with our horses. But I will I will take some blame. Last week we raced quite a bit, but I was on vacation and was not sending yeah. out any links to anybody. So I I apologize for that because I was barely paying attention to when we had races last week as well. Uh, We are going to have chickens. If you're interested in that, eventually in October, I'll send you some links to some chicken races. Uh, That's the plan there. But yes, the next time we put some of our horses in a race, I will make sure to send you a link. I know you are one of our biggest fans, and I I am Mm -hmm. sorry I have let you down. I apologize for that. Uh, But hold on. This Hemingway drink, is it named after (laughs) Ernest Hemingway?
4: It is. Ed's going to be
1: disappointed simply because he loves Ernest Hemingway.
4: I know, I know, it's his, it's, his, it's his, like, idol, his favorite author, So, and it's funny because they couldn't be more opposite when it comes to the drinking thing. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the, the things that are, you know, so funny about it is Ernest Hemingway notoriously hated sugar, which we obviously know Ed is a fiend of, and and so the Hemingway daiquiri comes from uh, a, a kind of a morph of the actual daiquiri itself, and the legend, as most of these stories are, because it, you know, and naturally speaking about a writer, it seems interesting. But, you know, a lot of these stories weren't documented and it's just kind of as, as you've researched it. But the most widely regarded and followed story is that Ernest Hemingway had walked into a bar and tasted what he felt was, was, a, was a drink called, you know, that was a daiquiri. And he said, while it wasn't bad, it had too much sugar and not enough rum. So what he suggested is that you remove the sugar altogether and double the rum so the drink would have four ounces of rum in it and that's the way that Ernest Hemingway liked to drink it and that's why the Hemingway Daiquiri has also been called the Papa Doble. Papa is because when he was in Cuba that was his nickname and Doble because it was the amount of booze doubled Papa Doble. Um, But over the years the bartenders in this bar had to take the drink and Basically, uh, tweak it so that way people could actually consume it because otherwise <laughs> it was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> True. So they would do it with two ounces of rum, uh, a little bit of lime juice, three quarter ounces of lime juice, and they used a maraschino liqueur. Maraschino is made from the Rosca cherry. It's a, a very. Uh, um, a popular Italian liqueur that does have some sugar in it, but it was still booze, so they figured he would enjoy it because it was still boozy while being like, offering a little bit of sweetness. Um, and then they also added a little bit of uh, grapefruit juice, fresh-squeezed grapefruit juice. Um, and they took those ingredients, shaken together, and that's what became the Hemingway Daiquiri. And so that's the drink that I make uh, for you today, um, except I do it, like I said, with two ounces of rum. I do it with three-quarter ounces of lime juice. I do it with an, uh, half of an ounce of maraschino. I add a little extra ruby red grapefruit juice. I add an ounce instead of a half of an ounce. And I add just a, like an eighth of an ounce, a dash, if you will, of simple syrup. Because even the drink that I, I, I said before without the additional sweetness, to the American palate, it's a little too dry. So adding the just a little bit of the simple syrup, a dash, to me, as I've made these drinks over the years for many patrons over the bar, um, it was more accessible to their palate, and they really enjoyed them. It's a phenomenal drink. It's shaken. It's served in a cocktail glass with just a grapefruit garnish, uh, and, and it's absolutely a, a wonderful a wonderful uh, change to the typical daiquiri. But because the uh, National Rum Day is coming up, I believe it's on the 14th, if I'm not mistaken, 14th or 16th is National Rum Day. Um, I figured I would make something else and tell you a little story about our friend Ernest Hemingway. Even though Ed can't be on, and they're complete opposites.
1: <laughs> would Ernest Hemingway scoff at you while you made this drink?
4: Well, he wouldn't scoff at me while I made it. He would probably scoff at me when he tasted it, though, because he would—it <laughs> would taste too, too sweet for him, and it didn't have enough rum. Um, I'm just trying to make it so you can palate it, uh, so you can you know, make it palatable for you. Uh, where he was a very unique individual, and he, he used to like his drinks. Um, frozen, so because he liked them really cold, so that way it would go down easier and you couldn't taste the booze as quickly, but he liked to power down as much booze in one drink as humanly possible, and that's what he was known for. Uh, so there you go. That's that's Ernest way in a nutshell, I suppose.
2: One of my favorite stories, this is about Winston Churchill, is that famously he liked his martinis as long as there was vermouth in the room, that counted.
4: Yeah, you know, it's, <laughs> and so that would just be Gin or vodka. That yeah, would be that's literally martini. just, just uh, drinking straight yeah. gin. Yeah, so that you're just drinking straight gin or straight vodka. That's martini is what makes, or the vermouth is what makes the martini. If you're leaving it out, then you're just drinking large shots of booze, <laughs> essentially.
1: Did <laughs> did do you know, like, did Ernest Hemingway drink what's commonly known as the Hemingway drink, the one you were describing with grapefruit juice, or did that like come no. along after he had died?
4: No, that came along after because people you know would want to drink the drink that he was drinking but they couldn't they couldn't do it it was just, it was it was, <laughs> was it, it was eventually it was essentially rum with lime juice in it and that's it right <laughs> and, and so no they you can i i challenge you try it it's not you're not going to be able to do it it's uh it's it's not good but that's what he likes <laughs> so um you know as a as as, as any bartender would tell you like hey man you're paying the bill then I'll make it any way you want and I'll never drink it that way but if that's the way you want it my friend then that's the way you'll get it but if anybody else wants it, I'm going to make it so it tastes good because I want you, if you're, you're you know behind the bar, you want your guests to drink as many of them as possible because that runs your check average up and, and hopefully increases your tip.
1: Wait, when you were bartending, did you ever have someone try to order a Hemingway and be like, just just the rum and lime juice? <laughs>
4: uh, no, no, uh, they never did. Um, no, not, not that I can remember. But people would enjoy the Hemingway daiquiri the way we made it when I was bartending, but nobody ever ordered it. Like, hey, man, I want an authentic... Uh, Papa Doble, leave out everything except for <laughs> rum and, and lime juice, no.
1: Well, he is J.R. Stark, as again, thanks to Liquor World and from Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. J.R., as always, we appreciate it. You
4: got it, guys. Talk to you next week.
2: Learn something from him literally every week, yeah. and it's always like, oh, man, I should totally try that. And then, like, my brain catches up to me and goes, that's a terrible idea. Yeah. Sounds, sounds revolting. I am glad JR
1: called me out on the lack of races that I sent to him. Get the horses in the show. It's very important that Your we have tickets horses to in give the away. show. We do have tickets to give away. For anybody that wants to go see Sebastian Maniscalco. He is coming to the win at Encore Theater. We have tickets for Saturday, August 21st, a pair of tickets. You can buy them at Ticketmaster, or you could win a pair right now to go see Sebastian Maniscalco on the Nobody Does This Tour. We will take caller number 5 at 702-364-1100. That is 702-364-1100. Caller number 5 will win a pair of tickets to go see Sebastian Maniscalco.
0: For me, odd jobs. I worked at a chicken shack when I was 16 years old. As a matter of fact, growing up, all my life, I'd worked on our cattle ranch. My dad one summer, I was like, Dad, I don't, I don't want to do that, man. i see if I can go get paid, because I didn't get paid for doing that job. That was like auto. Anyway, so I worked at a chicken shop, chicken shack, and uh, I learned how to clean chicken, and I could do it blind over and over, and I'll never do it again. So I appreciate everybody that does that type of work, because it, it got old quick. But uh, anyway, that was my odd job. And as a matter of fact, so I did that for a while, and I and finally one day he let me work the window. I got to work the window. The window was here. This was the top of the window. So I would stick my head through. That was awesome. But um, but I did get paid better, so it was good stuff. Appreciate you guys. That was
1: Dan Campbell, the head coach of the Detroit Lions. <laughs> um <laughs> Adam, do you think media members in Detroit are just trying to figure out ways to ask him the strangest questions to get the strangest answers? Do you think you have to ask
3: him a strange question (laughs) to get a strange answer, Tyler? Like, media members in Detroit right now are so happy that they no longer have to deal with Matt Patricia that I'm sure that they just walk in, put their recorders down, and they're like, go. We don't need to ask you a question. Go.
2: (laughs) What, What do you want to talk about, Dan? Well,
1: I used to clean chickens back in high school.
3: (laughs) Back when I was a reporter in Arizona in Flagstaff, uh, for a while I covered City Hall, and the mayor had a reputation for just saying outrageous things. Um, He was not a politician by trade. He was a former grocery store manager. Um, (laughs) And so there were times where I was kind of slow on news, and I would make an appointment to go talk to him And i would just put the recorder on start having a conversation i'd be like let's just see what he says let's just see what he talks about today and i feel like dan campbell has entered that territory before he ever coaches an nfl game as a head coach
2: wait hey he was an interim coach in miami (laughs) that was how you filled your beat when there wasn't enough
1: actual news stories was just yeah i'll go talk to the mayor he'll say something crazy it'll be
2: great
3: there were times that it became the top story in the paper (laughs) the next day like a1 above the fold
2: (laughs) <laughs> that must be really weird to have a mayor that says crazy things. At least, you know, like, I'm glad that we don't have that situation here.
3: Uh, I don't. I, I mean, maybe, maybe some people in Las Vegas do. That's
1: right, Jared. You're worse than all those people that don't live here that think Carolyn Goodman has jurisdiction over the whole city.
2: I just to literally, like, every mayor in this city it's just genuinely like, is there a minor league... Is there a minor league water polo team that we could be giving money to? <laughs> okay, I have an
1: important question for you, Adam. Have you ever eaten a Mcgriddle from McDonald's?
3: No, I'm oh pretty God. loyal to the uh to the sausage muffin with egg.
1: Okay. So are you, you're aware of the concept of the McGriddle, though, right? I am familiar. Okay. Yes. The uh, syrup is injected into the little pancake buns. It's delicious. It should have
2: been mankind's, like, fifth invention.
1: Yeah, it's one of the greatest things we've ever done as a species. Um, apparently, on the first episode of Hard Knocks, they showed Jerry Jones eating a McGriddle, and he took the time to add more salt to his McGriddle. And I cannot, for the life of me, because I love McGriddles, fathom eating good they've got sausage ones they've got bacon ones they even have chicken ones i cannot fathom biting into one of those and thinking you know what this needs is more More salt salt.
3: think about it this way though jerry jones is at the point of his life where it's all about trying to preserve right like just keep (laughs) what you have do you think that the extra salt is just meant to try to preserve what is left of jerry jones (laughs)
2: This is somehow treatment, is what this, you're saying. His doctor, his doctor was like, "Well, I guess you. I mean, your liver needs electrolytes after all that Johnny Walker Blue." So he went, "All right, I'll just start salting my fast food." <laughs> well,
3: like, don't you think that that Jerry Jones, it, it's kind of like dry aged meat at this point? Like, you're just trying to cure Jerry Jones in some way, just to make sure that he can last longer. Uh, we, have,
2: we don't want Steven in charge, Jerry. <laughs> so.
1: I McGriddles are delicious. Don't put salt on them unless you are trying to preserve your aged meat like Jerry Jones. And as Jared suggested, maybe it's not even Jerry Jones's idea. It's everybody else around the Cowboys saying, we don't want Jerry Jones to go. We, we need to keep you in charge because we're afraid of what might actually happen next if Jerry Jones doesn't salt his McGriddle. <laughs> Before he eats it. Oh, incredible. Well, the
3: most important part about that is who do you think suggested it? The only person willing to hire him as an NFL head coach, I think it was Mike McCarthy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. That guy, that's a guy who ordered, who, when he goes through the McDonald's drive through, he goes, Yeah, can I get extra salt? Fresh fries.
1: <laughs> okay. Last thing on the show today, Adam, just to make sure you feel. disappointed in me before we let you go until we talk to you next week. Uh, Would you like to know the most recent cryptocurrency-related purchase I made?
3: Would I like to? No, but I don't want silence on the radio for the next two minutes.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. You don't have a choice. I bought two fan tokens for Arsenal.
2: Oh, good God.
3: Now... Describe to the people what it means when you get a fan token.
1: I'm still a little confused on that myself. Ah, But I bought them! (laughs) But it only cost me $6. Uh, So there is an app called Socios. And now that I have two Arsenal fan tokens, I can place two votes on things that they put up to a fan vote. It just launched today, and the first thing I can vote on is... Which song should be played at Emirates Stadium after we win? And there's about eight options on here, and it says at the bottom that the club will do this once this is voted on and decided this will be the song played after Arsenal wins games at home.
3: Oh, so essentially what you've done is you've created a system where you can buy more votes with more money. So yes. you have American democracy going with yes. Arsenal now. Yes,
1: and, and the, best, so the best part about this is every time Arsenal tweets about it, all of the responses are just about how it's horrible and how they hate it. Because as you saw with the super league and fans storming fields and protesting, there's very much a, Hey, the identity of the club is the supporters of the club in England and European soccer. So everybody hates this in Europe, but I still bought two because it cost me $6.
3: Well, here's my question. Do you think that they, that they're pissed off that an American has two votes?
1: Uh, they can buy more than two votes if they want to have more I mean, than you. two votes. No,
3: you in particular.
1: Yeah, they might be, but it, it, here's the problem: they play Sweet Caroline at the moment, and it sucks. But now I get to vote on something that's not Sweet Caroline. This is this is already off to a great start. If do they something...
3: understand what Sweet Caroline is about? No, probably not. Do they understand
1: let's... what Sweet Golden Knights is about?
3: Oh God, let's hope not.
1: How do we get Sweet Arsenal? Sweet Cannons? See I got to figure that See you
3: Monday. Out.